Amen. You may be seated. We're going to go a little further this morning in the series that we've been teaching for the last number of weeks. Healing belongs to us. And we've been using two main text scriptures, Matthew chapter 8 and Isaiah chapter 53. There has been controversy in the body of Christ for 2,000 years, or close to it at least, about the subject of healing. Is There's not a lot of people that will say that God can't heal. The real question, the real controversy, is whether or not healing was provided for in the redemptive work of Jesus. If healing is a part of redemption, then healing for the physical body, physical healing for the body, is as accessible as forgiveness of sins. Now, I'm not talking about for the world. I'm talking about for the body of Christ. In just the same way that 1 John 1, 9 says to confess your faults and God will forgive your sin and restore you to righteousness. If that healing work that Jesus performed is a part of his redemptive work, meaning the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, then healing would be a guarantee Healing for the physical body would be a guarantee for every believer. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, the verse of Scripture that Matthew is referring to is in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, notice that Matthew says it in different terms or different words than Isaiah 53, verse 4 says. These words, griefs and sorrows, are translated in other places in the, New, in the Old Testament as sickness and pains. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Notice Matthew says that Isaiah's prophecy is that Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. We have looked at a number of things throughout the Bible for these last, I think we're going on about eight weeks on this series. And we've seen different places and different ways that the Bible identifies healing for the individual. One of the things that we saw and one of the early examples, the first examples of the type of Jesus. And what I mean by that is the fulfillment through the crucifixion of Old Testament prophecies and instruction. One of those is the Passover. In Exodus chapter 15, God identifies himself as the Lord that healeth thee. And what that's referring to is he is the God that provided healing for the nation of Israel who were, according to Psalm 105, brought forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble among them. Now the nation of Israel was anywhere between 2 million and 7 million people, depending on whose estimates you own. If you take the most conservative estimate of the two million people, 
imagine how impossible, how statistically impossible it would be for there not to be one feeble among them. Not even weakness, no sickness, and not even weakness among the children of Israel when God brought them out of Egypt. Dr. Schofield, who was a Baptist theologian in the previous generation, was a very educated and learned man. He worked for God for many years, decades, pastoring and also teaching in denominational Bible schools and universities and such. He ascribed to probably the most popular modern-day theology concerning healing for the physical body. He believed, certainly, that Jesus healed and that God provided healing for the early church, the first generation of the early church, but that when the last apostle died, that healing power died with him. And he, in his commentaries and in the Bible that he put out with the notes and commentaries that he had available, had a note in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then the Greek. He pointed out that that word salvation was an all-inclusive term that included deliverance, soundness, and healing for the physical body. Now, since that was in the window of the last apostle, before the last apostle died, that's how he justified some of the things in the Bible that he knew as a, a scholar and a theologian, it made an opportunity for him to believe, even though the church was not working in the same way, praying for the sick or healing the sick. Now, he also, the reason I brought him up is because he also had some outstanding um, notes, truth about the different names that God ascribed to himself. You remember when Moses saw the burning bush, he climbed up onto the mountain and found that it was a work of God. God told him to take the shoes off of his feet because he was standing on holy ground. And God told him to go tell Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. One of the first things Moses said is, who, do, who are you? And why would Pharaoh listen to me when I called upon your name to turn his people loose? And God identified himself as, in this phrase, I am that I am. In the Old Testament, there are seven places where God reveals himself. And Dr. Schofield, he's the only one that I've seen with this same description in his commentary. He said Jehovah means specifically the self-reliant one who reveals himself. Folks, one of the problems that God had with his people is because they didn't know who he was. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had long gone off the scene hundreds of years before. And the people of God, the nation of Israel, they didn't know who God was. They had fallen into idol worship to a great degree. And there was never a nation on the earth like the Egyptian nation for idolatry. 
But Dr. Schofield brought out in his commentary the different redemptive names that God had given himself. In Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35, God identifies himself as Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is here or present. Now, the thing about these redemptive names is that every one of them were fulfilled by the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, God is still the God who is present. The revelation of the Old Testament is confirmed by Jesus and his work on the cross. And nobody argues that. Everybody believes that and accepts that to be the truth. In Judges chapter 6, verse 24, God identifies himself as Jehovah Shalom, which is translated the Lord our peace. Well, we know that peace is a part of what God, what Jesus said that he would provide for us. And his means or method of providing that blessing or the fulfillment of that blessing is through the cross where he took upon himself the sins of the world. Then in Psalm 23, verse 1, God identifies himself as Jehovah Reah, which is the Lord is my shepherd. Well, we know that was fulfilled by Jesus' work on the cross too. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, God identifies himself as Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide an offering. Jehovah Nisi is another redemptive name that God identifies himself as, which means the Lord is our banner, or literally the Lord is our victory. Well, how does God provide victory for us? Through the cross of Jesus. Again, each one of these is seen and known to be a redemptive name. In Jeremiah 23, verse 6, God identifies himself as Jehovah Sidkenu, which is the Lord our righteousness. How does righteousness come? But by the acceptance of Jesus' work on the cross. Then the the last of the seven is in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, where God identifies himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Now, how is it that of the seven redemptive names, the seven names God gives himself, how is it that Jehovah Rapha is supposed to be the only one that is not fulfilled by the cross of Jesus? How is it that the sixth other redemptive names are provided freely to us, available for everyone, no one left out because of the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But Jehovah Rapha, singly, exclusively, does not provide a present-day blessing of God even though Jesus went to the cross and was raised again from the dead. Who has the authority to tell us that the Lord is our healer is not a present-day blessing? Jehovah our righteousness is. Jehovah our victory is. Jehovah our peace is. Jehovah our shepherd is. But the one that would provide one of the great blessings, he, the blessing of healing for the physical body, somehow or another that was not provided for by Jesus' work on the cross. Isaiah 53, the Messianic chapter, goes further and says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
and with his stripes we are healed. You've got two applications of the Messiah's work regarding sin. Those two, the difference between those two is one is concerning original sin, the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the other identifies that the Messiah would pay the price for our individual sins that we might enter into righteousness. Furthermore, this verse of scripture in Isaiah 53, 5 says that God provided for us through the chastisement or the beatings of Jesus for our, physical, for our uh, financial and material well-being. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And then the fourth thing that this verse brings out that the Messiah would provide for is healing for the physical body. By his stripes we are healed. Now three of those four are commonly, widely accepted to be available to us because of the work that Jesus performed on the cross. But not the healing part. Who has been given authority to take the word apart and say this belongs to you and that doesn't? Who has been given the authority in the body of Christ anywhere in the history of the body of Christ where forgiveness of sins is accounted for and even, he, uh, even provision, financial and material provision is available to us. You'll have different people, different groups arguing about the degree that that belongs to us. But nobody will really take that away from this verse of Scripture. But the majority of the body of Christ in the earth today believes and confesses that the healing for our physical bodies is not for today. Romans 5.12 says that by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. It's telling us that sickness, which is a consequence or a characteristic of physical death, uh, spiritual death, excuse me. Romans 5.12 says that the, the origin or the source of the characteristics of, of spiritual death, which would include healing or sickness and disease. Sickness and disease came apart, in other words, came into being as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. Well, then if sin is the origin of sickness and disease, then wouldn't the cure for sin be the cure for sickness and disease? What was the cure for sin? Jesus going to the cross. So therefore, if he dealt with entirely, completely, dealt with sin and exchanged that for righteousness, then the consequence of that sin, which would include sickness and disease, had to have been paid for as well. When God dealt with the sins of mankind. Now, folks, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and he began again to teach by the seaside and there was gathered unto him a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and sat down in the sea and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land and he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine hearken behold there went out a sower to sow 
And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, some and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And the other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Jesus told a simple parable of the sower sowing the word and what happened to the word, the seed that was sown. Some was eaten up immediately. Some fell on stony ground. Some fell on thorny ground. But then others fell into good ground. Jesus tells his disciples when they come later to talk to him about what the meaning of this parable was. He said that this is the secret to the kingdom of God. The secret or the mystery, the unknown characteristic, the unknown method to take part of everything that the kingdom of God includes. Time and time again, it tells us and it shows us in the, in the word that the kingdom of God is associated, closely associated with sickness and disease. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter, five, uh, Luke chapter 9 to point that out, this out. Verse 1, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice the connection between the kingdom of God and healing the sick. Folks, before Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, there was nothing in this world that could hurt or harm God's creation. It was absent sin, absent sickness, absent disease. It literally was the kingdom of God on the earth. And up until the point in time when Adam and Eve sinned, again Romans 5.12, by sin, by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. Before that time, everything God had made was perfect. Now folks, consider what God considers perfect. No sickness, no disease, No poverty, no lack. God looked at that and said it was perfect. Now we know that it was not God's will for Adam and Eve to sin. We know that it was not God's will for Adam and Eve to open the door to spiritual death by disobedience to God. In other words, we can clearly see how God wanted things to be for his man. Now, folks, God never changes. So at any point in time, and we've just identified the point in time in the beginning, but any point in time 
that God would have willed for his people to live a life free from sickness and disease because he never changes and because he's no respecter of persons, then God's will has never changed. He wants mankind to live free from sickness and disease today just as much as he did when he created the world and put Adam in the middle of it. Now, the only definition we have of the kingdom of God, apart from the things that we can identify, Jesus said over and over again that the kingdom of God was associated with healing for the physical body. But the only definition we have for the kingdom of God is what Jesus gave to us when his disciples came and asked him to teach them to pray. We know of this, uh, we know of the prayer that he gave them as the Lord's Prayer. And you can, can quote this, speak it from memory just as easily as I can. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom would be the kingdom of God, then, would it not? Thy kingdom come. Jesus is talking about a restoration. The earth started off as the kingdom of God, but when Adam fell and sin entered the world, sickness and disease began to take hold of mankind. So God's plan must be to restore the kingdom of God on the earth. Jesus goes on, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is defining what the kingdom of God is, where the will of God is done in the earth just as the will of God is done in heaven. So we have proof positive from Jesus' own lips that God's intent was to restore the kingdom of God on the earth. And that's what he had his disciples praying that would take place. Now we know that was fulfilled by Jesus going to the cross because Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, he tells us that all that is necessary for the kingdom of God to come back to the earth was fulfilled in the cross. He said, God has made us meet to enter into the kingdom of God. It literally says we've been translated into his kingdom. Translated into his kingdom means that the kingdom of God is made available to us again. But the terms are on different grounds. We have been translated into the kingdom of God by the finished work of Jesus and where we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior Paul said it this way, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature or a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So we are in the kingdom of God now if we've made Jesus the Lord of our lives. That means that we have been made free from every part of Satan's work. which would include freedom from sickness and disease. I'm going to keep reading in Luke chapter 9. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Skip down with me to verse 6. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 1, after all these things, the Lord appointed 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he himself would come. Skip down to verse 8. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Folks, the, the number one thing that the Bible tells us over and over and over again concerning the kingdom of God is that it's associated with healing for the physical body. Now let's talk about the kingdom of God again. We see clearly what God's will is concerning the kingdom of God and healing. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells his disciples that come to him afterward, wanting to know the meaning of the parable. Jesus tells them that this parable unlocks the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is not a mystery as far as what it entails. The kingdom of God is very simply everything that Jesus paid the price for on the cross. So the secret or the mystery he's talking about is how to take hold of what the kingdom of God includes. How to take hold of healing for your physical body. How to take hold of provision, material and financial provision here on the earth. That's a mystery. It's a secret. And you can clearly see that the majority of the church doesn't know about it. That's not because God's trying to keep them in the dark. It's because they don't accept what the Bible tells us about the finished work of Jesus. Verse 13 in Mark chapter 4 is interesting as well because he says, don't you know this parable? How then will you know all parables? So this parable contains the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God, how to take hold of every blessing that Jesus paid the price for. And it's also the foundation of the understanding about other parables that Jesus will teach. Here's his explanation to them. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. And these are they likewise which are sown, sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Folks, there are five things that Jesus is telling us to watch out for. Two things that he associates with with the stony ground that's people that don't water the word they don't continue it in the word that they have heard are affliction and persecution now affliction and persecution can simply be identified as trouble you may have noticed that when you first started stepping out in faith your trouble increased. Satan treats us all the same and he'll do everything he can to throw roadblocks in your way. Trouble 
through circumstances and consequences in our lives. Some people, many people, allow the affliction or the persecution. In other words, trouble in this life along with people speaking against you. They allow that to deter them from the word that they heard. The word sure sounded good. It sounded like God would be on your side. But then when trouble and people speaking against you takes place, they turn loose of the word that they started in. Then he speaks of the thorny ground. And he talks about three things there that the devil brings against you. To hinder your faith from being from realizing the thing that you put it toward. He says, the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches and the lust or desires for other things entering in and chokes the word. There are five things that Jesus tells us to watch out for. Affliction and persecution. Don't let those things turn you away from the word. And then cares of this world Deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things are sent by and used by the devil to distract you. Affliction and persecution is trouble, but cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches and lusts of other things are distractions. So he's saying the thing that will keep many people from producing the word, producing the results of the word in their lives the five things that keep them from becoming good ground that produces fruit is trouble and distractions. Folks, that's all the devil's got to work with. And really, you could boil them down, boil these five things down, and identify that every one of them is a, is a form of deceit. Affliction comes and the devil tells you to be there forever. But the Bible talks about things that come to pass, not come to stay. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. These are deceitful distractions. The cares of this world are designed to make you worry that God won't be on your side. The deceitfulness of riches is simply having a wrong attitude toward money and finances. Placing a greater importance on riches than we have toward God's word. The desires for other things are just simply designed to get your eyes on something else other than the word. It could be a desire for anything. Since the word lust is used, most people associate that with sexual sin. Well, it would certainly include that. But it simply means just something that you desire more than the word. Jesus goes on. In verse 21, he says unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret but, shall, but that it should come abroad. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. He's very simply saying that the word of God should have the majority position in our lives. No matter where we are, no matter what our circumstances are, the word of God is the answer. Verse 24, and he said unto them, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him it shall be given, and he that hath not, from him shall be taken away even that which he has. Now when he says he that hath, he's talking about the proper position or the attention that you give to the word 
In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, <clears throat> the word of God says, my son, attend to my words. <clears throat> In other words, keep the word of God first place. Now, why would the Bible warn us about not keeping the word of God first place? Because affliction and persecution tries to take you away from it. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things try to distract you. Folks, this modern day situation that we have going on regarding our country and other countries is a great lesson concerning spiritual truths. Have you noticed that everything's a crisis? Everything in the news is a crisis. For two years, or close to two years anyway, we've been living with the crisis of the coronavirus. Have you noticed all of a sudden it's gone away? The greatest virus, the strongest virus in the history of mankind the very pandemic that will probably kill us all unless we can wear a mask. All of a sudden, it doesn't, there's nothing in the news about it anymore. We've just simply moved on to other things. Folks, I believe that from here till Jesus comes, we're going to be going from crisis to crisis to crisis. And when I say that, I'm certainly talking about just the news media's idea of what a crisis is. We don't have to participate in their crisis. We are certainly affected by some of the stupid things that our government is doing. But the real question for us is a different one than for the world, the question for us is, what are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the news reports and accept what they say to get along in this world? Or are we going to stick with the word no matter what they say because the word has the answers? One of the things over the last couple of years that really surprised me was that if you said anything about coronavirus, people that claimed to be believing in God's word and walking in faith, they got mad because I said something. It got to the point where I felt like the, the best thing to say is that God is greater than sickness and disease God's greater than coronavirus no matter what the CDC data says Jesus goes on to say in verse 26 and he said so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring up, spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. Here's one of the secrets to the kingdom of God. Things don't change immediately, but the good news is it produces results even if you don't know how it works. In Mark chapter 5, it tells us about a woman with the issue of blood and what she did to take hold of the healing power of God. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, which will amount to him raising her from the dead. And on the way, in verse 25, in a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. 
when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? In other words, everybody's touching you. And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. When Jesus sent the twelve and then the seventy out, he told them the same things. He said, Go preach the kingdom of God. In other words, go preach what we know God's will is. God's will is the same for mankind on the earth. No matter who says what, no matter how many people reject him. Here's a woman that operates according to the principles of faith. And by that we mean the principles in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 4 that we just looked at. In Mark chapter 4, the seed is the same, the word is the same. It's not weaker in one, in one place or stronger in another. The potential is available for everyone. The seed never changes. The potential for the seed never changes. Now people, as are, uh, as are identified by different types of ground... People can and will change. But the word never does. So the attention that we give to the word, we finish the passage of scripture in, Mark, in uh, Proverbs chapter 4. My son, attend to my words. Keep them first place, in other words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear what? Hear what the word says. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. Don't get distracted. Don't allow distractions to pull you away from the truth of the word. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. There's another reference to attending to the words or keeping the word of God first place. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them. In other words, those... The word of God is life unto those who unlock the mystery or the secret of the kingdom of God. My words are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. In other words, here's how you become good ground that produces 30, 60, or 100 fold. My son, attend to my words, incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes and keep them in the midst of your heart. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health or medicine to all their flesh. Now notice what this woman with the issue of blood did. She heard the same thing that others heard. The reason that the multitude is thronging Jesus and reaching out to touch him. Everybody is pushing and shoving, trying to get close enough to Jesus to touch him. Why are they doing that? Well, they've heard the same thing that the woman with the issue of blood heard, that people were being healed by making contact with Jesus. But there's not one other person in that crowd that gets anything except her. Now, the Bible is faithful God is faithful in his word to show us what the difference was between these other types of ground. I'm inclined to say that everybody else in that crowd is identified as wayside 
territory. Remember the first thing that it said in the parable was the sower sowed the word and some of it fell by the wayside and Satan came immediately and devoured it up. There was something different about the woman with the issue of blood touching Jesus from everybody else in the crowd doing the same thing. What had she been doing? Well, it says she touched the hem of his garment, for she said, for she said, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. See, what she had heard about Jesus created and marked a response from her. Now, Jesus didn't know who she was. Jesus never had any contact with her other than when she told him what had happened. Jesus didn't know that there was anybody in that crowd that would get anything for him or from him. But think about what it could have been. The woman with the issue of blood is the only one that unlocked the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God, which means she unlocked the, the mystery or the secret to her own healing. But everybody else in that crowd could have. There are several places in the Gospels, the poor Gospels, that identify that whole multitudes or whole crowds, everybody in that crowd was healed. But most of those times come as a result of Jesus' teaching. It tells us something about Jesus' teaching in that certain area. And then he healed all that were sick. The same power was available in this crowd or available to this crowd. They could have reached out and touched him and been healed from their diseases too. I don't know how many people were sick in that crowd, but you have to imagine there's, there were at least some. And because of the potential in the seed, the potential power in that seed of God's word, even though Jesus wasn't teaching, he wasn't having a healing campaign, he was simply walking from one point to another on his way to Jairus' house. But one person, out of however many makes up this multitude, one person decided to take hold of God's blessing of healing for her physical body. Now, she's got the deck stacked against her. She's been to every doctor she could afford to go to. She spent all of her money on doctors. That would have been the perfect position, the perfect place for the devil to try to convince her that nothing could be done. But she didn't allow herself to get distracted. Now, because she's got an issue of blood, that puts her in the same category as a leper. Meaning, what she has is a communicable disease. A highly contagious disease, at least would be considered by the people of that day. And so, legally, according to the law of Moses, if she goes in that crowd or any other crowd, any gathering of people, she's got to cry out like a leper is supposed to. Now, what happened in most of those situations is that lepers would then be stoned to make them go to a different place or to get away from the people that were present. Or it would notify the people that were there that they needed to go to a different place or location to stay away from the disease or the person who is diseased. So she's got some trouble facing her a decision she's got to make. Is she going to obey the law of Moses? 
which if, if she does do what the law of Moses tells her to do, the chances are that she'll never get close enough to Jesus to make a difference or to fulfill what she says she believes. So she refuses to allow the distractions or the trouble that she's got to go to to reach Jesus. She refuses to allow either of those things to deter her. She's on a mission. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Jesus says in verse 34, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Folks, if her faith can make her whole, then our faith can make us whole. Now, the Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 20, that God sent his word and healed us. He sent his word and healed us. He sent his word and healed us. That means that most of the healings that will take place are going to take place as a result of people believing the word. Now stop and think about how different that is from most, uh, from most of the ways the church works today. In most situations, people come to someone that's got a special gift or someone that God uses in a special way to bring healing to the sick. They come for prayer with the idea that prayer heals the sick. Well, there's one instance that the Bible talks about prayer concerning healing for the sick, and that's in James chapter 5. But it specifically says that the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Faith is acting on God's word. So most people are trying to substitute prayer for the work of the word. Most people are trying to substitute somebody with a special gift, somebody that's got something they don't have to affect a healing and a cure in their bodies. When the Bible says that the word of God is the means whereby God heals his people. He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them. Well, the faith that this woman uses is broken down in such a way that we can see that it wasn't some great work, some mighty work, some unusual occurrence that took place. Just simply hearing the word, hearing about Jesus, making it personal for herself, saying, if I can just touch his, the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And then carrying it out. She heard of Jesus. And that sparked faith in her. She had to have heard that Jesus was healing people. And she probably heard that Jesus was healing people. Or people had gotten healed by touching the hem of his garment. There are a couple of places in the Gospels where it refers to that happening. So she says... We can see where her faith is. Her faith is in touching Jesus' garment. And she expects that to activate the healing power of God in her body. Jesus commends her for her faith. Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Many times in the, God, the four gospels it tells us about Jesus saying to one, somebody that comes to him for healing... He'll say something like, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. Well, that fits perfectly here with the woman with the issue of blood. 
Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Of all the people in that crowd, every one of them could have received healing for their bodies. Every one of them could have taken hold of the blessings of God. They know that healing is a part of the gospel, the kingdom of God. They know that healing is a part of Jesus' work. And so they're reaching out trying to take hold of something from him. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in the crowd is sick. There were certainly other things and other reasons that other people were touching him other than just for healing for their bodies. Other people are trying to grab hold of him. They're not trying to stop him, though. The Bible doesn't tell us that they're trying to stop Jesus to minister to them. They're just trying to touch him as he goes by. Well, touching people or people touching Jesus as he goes by must have worked at least in a minimum way or else other people wouldn't have done it. But she puts her attention on what she's heard. She's heard that Jesus is healing. She's heard that people are healed by touching his garment. So she attends to the word. She inclines her ear to his saying. She doesn't let anything stop her. She doesn't let what anybody else thinks about it stop her. She doesn't let the difficulty of the task to get to him stop her. She attends to his word. She inclines her ear to his sayings. She lets him not depart from before her eyes. Folks, this is one of the biggest parts of the mystery of the kingdom of God. And that is people that receive from God, people whose faith reaches out and takes hold of what belongs to them, are people that see themselves with the answer. The devil wants you to see a picture of failure. But good ground people see themselves with the answer. And they keep them in the midst of their heart. They keep the word in the midst of their heart. What that means is they continue to speak it. It's the same thing God told Joshua. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do them, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Don't ever let the word stop coming out of your mouth. For they are life, my words are life, unto those that find them. How do you find them? By attending to them. By inclining your ear to his sayings. By letting them not depart from your eyes. You keep those in the midst of your heart. By continuously speaking God's word. Speaking words of healing. And magnifying the goodness of God. They are life unto those people that find them. And their health to all their flesh. Health to all their flesh. There's nothing too hard for the God to heal. There's nothing that the word of God will not cover. No sickness and no disease. That the word of God will not defeat. When it comes out of the mouth of one who believes. Let's pray. Thank you Father. For your healing word. Thank you Father. For your healing mercy. Thank you Father. That the prayer of faith does save the sick. And you raise us up. 
And if we've committed sins, you forgive them. So we declare that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that the word is working mightily in our bodies. We declare that we have found the word and that it is life under our flesh. We declare there's nothing too hard for you, Father. Nothing too hard for you. So we give you praise. We glorify you for that which is done in us. Not because we can see the results, but because we believe for the results. And we are fully persuaded, Father, that you are able to do that which you've promised. Therefore, we declare, just as the woman with the issue of blood's faith made her whole, our faith in your word makes us whole. Blessed be your holy name, Father. Blessed be your holy name. 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 Say it with me. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. And I am strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully, fully persuaded that what God has promised, he is able also to perform. Amen. Bless you, Holy Father. We worship.